Hello and welcome to the Emerging Tech Horizons podcast. I'm Arun Serafin, Deputy Director of the Emerging Technologies Institute here at the National Defense Industrial Association. On today's episode, uh, we'll be talking about how the Pentagon works with historically black colleges and universities, HBCUs, and how they're accelerating efforts to connect these colleges and other minority institutions to defense industry and DOD research activities. My guest today is Evelyn Ken, the Historically Black Colleges and Universities and Minority Serving Institutions Program Director. She's in the Office of the Undersecretary of Research and Engineering, that's Heidi Hsu's office. In this role, Evelyn provides technical support to the Deputy Chief Technology Officer for Science and Technology. She oversees the HBCU MI programs, which include Historically Black Colleges, but also Hispanic Serving Institutions, Tribal Colleges and Universities, Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islanders, uh, uh, universities and colleges, and other underrepresented minority communities. These programs fund basic research activities. They fund equipment and instrumentation, instrumentation upgrades at the schools. Uh, they do graduate fellowships, scholarships. They fund research and education centers, and other activities all focused on attracting underrepresented minorities to STEM disciplines that are of most important to national security missions. Um, and uh, Evelyn also represents DOD on White House initiatives, for example, the executive orders on HBCUs and, and MIs. Um, Evelyn's career spans over 40 years of government service in the information technology, weapon systems acquisition, international affairs, environmental life sciences, and the command control and intelligence environment. She's the recipient of numerous awards, including the Department of Defense Exceptional Civilian Service Award and the 2012 Women of Color STEM Career Achievement Award. And in a personal note, uh, just on top of all that, I've worked with Evelyn for well over a decade from my time on Capitol Hill. Evelyn is one of the fiercest, strongest, and most effective advocates for the HBCU minority community in both programmatic and policy decisions. Um, she both knows how to do the, the work of reaching out and finding out what the universities need, explaining what the Pentagon needs, and making those connections and getting things done around town. So I've, I've always appreciated the chance to work with you, and, and I think we've we've done some interesting things together in the past. So please join me in welcoming Evelyn Kent to today's podcast. Thanks, Evelyn. Thank you, Arun, uh, for the introduction. As you said, we've known each other for a long time. Arun is like family to me, so we always <laughs> catch up with each other when we see each other about how our children and grandchildren are doing these days. So it, it is, I'm excited to be here. And this is my very first podcast, so let's get started right. and see how we'll, we do. We'll do good. <laughs> so, um, you know, I went through your bio a little bit. Um, could, could you tell us a little more about how you got to this policy-oriented position after your technical background? Okay, thank you. Uh, I will start with uh, how we all start. And I started, my start is with my family. Uh, my start was when I was five years old. My grandmother and my mother both saw and could see that I was very interested in math and science at a very young age. So they encouraged that in me. They bought me all type of toys, books uh, to read and to experiment in regards to math and science. And as they encouraged that through my elementary and junior high school years, I progressed strongly in the math and science areas in high school. And when I was a senior in high school, my guidance counselor, uh, she met with me so we can talk about my career and what I wanted to do because, you know, I grew up in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Uh, as a young black female, not knowing exactly what's out there, you know, those opportunities, 
I was very blessed to have a guidance counselor to, to see my strengths and to say, you're good in math and science. And she presented to me a, an opportunity that was being offered by the Department of the Navy. And they had, a co they had started a cooperative agreement program. And that program targeted and wanted to diversify the Navy in science and mathematics and engineering. So I filled out the application. I was accepted in the cooperative agreement uh, program by the Department of the Navy. And I started my career right out, right out of high school with the Naval Air Systems Command in Crystal City. So as the guidance counselor really helped you find that first opportunity, did you ever, did you have other uh, role models or mentors when you were growing up in Louisiana in the STEM world? Were your parents scientists or engineers or anything like that? Uh, my grandmother uh, only graduated from high school, ninth grade, but she was very strong in math and science. As a matter of fact, <clears throat> in the Southern community and our culture, when your parents are working, usually the grandparents help take care of you. So when I would come home with homework, she knew how to do the math and I was like, you only graduated from ninth grade. So, but she was very strong and my mother was also, and my father was at the time in Louisiana, we called him, he worked houses and the, his employment was being a carpenter. Okay. And so that's, so how I gravi gravi gravitated from, from that culture is where I am today. And also in high school, I had strong math and science teachers that encouraged me from ninth through 12th grade. So I had all of those role models there for me. But at the time, you don't realize it, how your path is being shaped by those individuals. So they believed in me and I believed in myself. And as a result, as I said, I started working for the Department of the Navy. Mm -hmm. And from there, I worked for many years. And one of my supervisors said to me, I'm going to the Office of Secretary of Defense. I'm taking a job to work for the Pentagon, and I'd like for you to come work with me. And that's when I started working with the Pentagon. And at that time, I was still working weapon systems. And as you work weapons... Engineering work. Engineering work. Hmm. Uh, as a matter of fact, when I was at, uh, when I worked for the Department of the Navy, one of the admirals there encouraged me to pursue engineering courses. So I received an engineering degree from Catholic University to complement <laughs> my math. So my series changed to engineering. So that's how I, I, I moved over to the engineering field because there were people who saw that and were role models for me and helped me to look at the opportunities to say, you can do this. And so that's why when I started working for the Pentagon and weapon systems, I was enjoying weapon systems. And then this program came up the Historically Black Colleges and Universities and Minority Serving Institutions program. So hang on, before we get there, uh, you're working as a Navy civilian as an engineer. Yes. In STEM. Right. Um, as know, a software engineer. Software engineer. Uh, at a time when I'm not sure there was a lot of diversity in the workforce. But on the other hand, the military is particularly, has been particularly good at integration and diversity. So now what was the environment like what were the uh, the mentorship opportunities? Was there was there any need for a community of people who were from you know your kind of background or or, or talk about that as compared to today? Okay, as compared to today, as a matter of fact, it was very strong when I was uh, working for the Department of the Navy. 
because the Navy was focused on diversifying their workforce. And so not only was I uh, working for the Navy as a minority, they also offered that cooperative agreement opportunity to other uh, black females and other females and males from North Carolina A&T State University. I'm a graduate of Southern University in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. <clears throat> so there was a nice cohort of us and we had a support system. So not only did we have a support system and a very diverse system, uh, system as far as we had operations research analysts, we had engineers, we had mathematicians, we had statisticians, all of those different fields coming from the historically black colleges and university. So it was a very diverse group at that time. Uh, having moved to the Pentagon, it was not as diverse mm -hmm. <laughs> because, you know, as you said, the military was very focused and they have a very strong environment. So the officers, in the instance, they were all diverse. And so we also fit right in. And one of the things I re we really enjoyed was telling them what a historically black college and university was. Cause they were like, where did you go to school again? Right. <laughs> and so that's, that was a nice, that was a nice compliment in terms of my career and getting others to understand and to see how diversified the workforce needs to be. And now we're at a point like uh, starting again to diversify the workforce. And the, I think the opportunity is such that young people have so many more choices today in terms of uh, the Googles, the Microsoft, and the Silicon Valley world. And the Department of Defense is attractive, but they have so many other opportunities. And so we're working to gravitate them and show them how attractive the Department of Defense is and how, what our mission stands for and we're starting to see a difference in terms of uh, the diversified workforce improving. So you, uh, you moved from the Navy over to the Pentagon. Yes. And then what, what do you start doing? Uh, I was working weapon systems for some time, and then one of the political appointees uh, said to me, Evelyn, I have a program I need you to think about supporting. And he sat me down and he talked to me, sort of like my guidance counselor. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> this is an opportunity for the department. And he shared with me the historically black colleges and university minority institutions program at the time. And as you know, Arun, it was under a small business statutory authority at that time, 10 USC 2323, if you recall. Right, I actually do. You do recall. So we were under small business uh, authority. And, we, uh, and when that small business authority somewhat sunset mm -hmm. and had some challenges, Congress decided, why are HBCUs and MIs looked at as small businesses? They are really institutions of higher education. So Arun, Serafin, and others, we began to work together, and we uh, worked on a new statutory authority, 10 U.S.C. 2362, back in 2010, if you remember. You mm -hmm. and Mr. Tim McLeese and Mr. Kevin Gates, mm -hmm. all of us worked together as a team with uh, uh, Congressman Elijah Cummins office, the late Congressman's office and others to enact the new statutory authority 2362. So when the program shifted from being a small business program to being looked at as institutions of higher education that was enacted in 2010, everything started to change within the Department of Defense so that they began to see these schools as uh, a talent, as a resource that was needed to meet the mission for DOD. So now the program office that you're running now, what's its mission? What are some of your activities? Uh, some of our activities within uh, 
the Undersecretary of Defense for Research and Engineering, uh, Ms. Heidi Hsu, as you mentioned earlier. Some of our acti activities involve now outreach. Before, we were just focused on because we had a very small budget. And I think the budget at the time was about $15 million, and we could only fund uh, research one year or either equipment the next year as grants. And so that's what we focused on for some time. And then the late Congressman Elijah Cummins provided a program increase of $20 million, which allowed us to not just focus on research and equipment, but to, to conduct outreach. So since the enactment of 23, uh, 2362, which is now 4144, we have outreach opportunities. <laughs> mm, and with great outreach opportunities, we're able to provide, as you said earlier, internship programs, uh, fellowship programs. We're able to work with other parts of the Department of Defense, with the Army, Navy, Air Force, and Defense agencies. We work together in providing funding to those agencies to help complement what they're doing in the department, which we couldn't do before. <clears throat> so that's one of the ways we have grown. Um, and uh, wh what are one or two examples then of the results of this kind of work? Right? Okay. So, I mean, I, I, I know the importance of broadly diversifying the workforce, and, and you've been a champion of that. And I know this administration and other administrations have made an effort of, of working with historical exact colleges. But in terms of DOD mission and the research and modernization priorities of Ms. Shu, what are some examples of how the, the universities that you're working with are contributing to that? Okay, uh, we have uh, many uh, critical technology areas, as you're probably aware, under Ms. Shu and under research and engineering. <clears throat> One of the things that we have been able to do to connect the schools with the Department of Defense mission is that we have created centers of excellence. And these centers of excellence are aligned with the critical technologies and the science and technology priorities within a department. Not only are they aligned with the R&E priorities, they are also aligned with the national defense strategy uh, priorities. For example, we started with an autonomy center of excellence, and that was at North Carolina A&T State University. So we have 11 centers of excellence, all of them tied to a research component or an education component of 4144, the statutory authority. So there are two components that we must meet, research and education. So we have nine research centers of excellence and we've had two educational centers of excellence. And the nine center of excellence focused on quantum science, artificial intelligence, machine learning, biotechnology, uh, the fully networked command control and communication priorities within the Department of Defense, uh, cybersecurity. Uh, Norfolk State University is our cybersecurity center of excellence. And so just recently, to fulfill a commitment that the department has been working on for several years, the Secretary of the Air Force uh, took on an initiative to create the first university-affiliated research center at an HBCU. So on January 23rd, Secretary Lord Austin and Secretary of the Air Force Frank Kendall, uh, along with uh, R&E and Acquisition and Sustainment, we all teamed together and partnered together to fund the first university-affiliated research center, UARC, for an HBCU. And the recipient of the UARC is Howard University. 
Right. So that and was so, actually a very well-publicized event in Washington. And uh, in the fall, actually, the Emerging Technologies Institute, working with the Air Force, with Dr. Victoria Coleman, the chief, chief scientist over there, we actually had an event uh, mm -hmm. talking about the, the importance of the HBCU program. We, we brought in the National Academies as well. Um, and, um, and you were there. Um, and uh, um, uh, it was an, an opportunity for us to connect uh, some of the HBCUs with some of our defense industry members as well. So that this, this UARC uh, um, initiative, I think, is very exciting for, for both the department and the, and the colleges, but also for industry partners. Exactly. And also, I want to share some other uh, examples. Our internship program. Our internship program, uh, we first started it in 2017. And we had like 100 interns because of the uh, support of Congress and the congressional increase that we would, we would receive each year. We decided that we needed to invest in the students. <clears throat> we were investing in different modernization around critical technologies, uh, science and technology priorities, but there, there was that missing component of the people. Actually, you know, are we engaging the students? And so th that took me back to when I was a cooperative agreement student, let's bring in the talented students. So we offer internship programs and as a result, we have hired interns uh, into the Department of Defense workforce and some of our interns have also gone to the Department of Defense contractors. Um, and that's an important point, right? In addition to the, the HBCUs being a source of innovation, because there's people doing good research, um, the Department of Defense needs a STEM workforce, but it needs a clearable STEM workforce. It needs U.S. citizens who can get security clearances. And I don't know, I'm just going to say this, I, my impression is the HBCUMI community can produce more of that clearable talent than most other parts of the academic world. Is that fair? That is correct. Uh, that is another reason why uh, the diversified workforce is looking stronger because capturing those students from historically black college and universities with the U.S. citizenship, uh, they're uh, able to get the clearances and security clearances that are needed uh, to become part of our workforce. So that also is a benefit as, long as, as well as to minority institutions uh, because University of California Riverside, they are our fully networked command control and communication side. It's a, it's a Hispanic serving institution, Center of Excellence. So they also are providing that other component, uh, other side of minority representation from the Hispanic community. So um, thinking about the NDIA membership, um, put, your, put yourself in the place of either one of the large contractors who's a member of NDIA or one of the smaller contractors. Uh, and so talk about how either a large company or a small company can best work with an HBCU and what your office can do to, to support that kind of effort. What our office can do for us to support that kind of efforts, we have symposium and workshops. And so what I would like to do is invite industry, NDIA or other industry to begin uh, traveling with us. Uh, we're starting up the site visits again to the universities, a room we used to do that. Mm -hmm. We used to go on site visits together. I would like industry to partner with us and go on site visits to the schools, as well as attend the workshops. And this summer in July, we're going to have a workshop. It's going to be at the Double Tree in, in July in, in Arlington. In Arlington, great. And which uh, we're not. We're going to have two parts to it. We're going to have a workshop where we talk about the funding opportunities within the Department of Defense, and we also want to invite industry to come in because at that workshop, we're going to invite all 100 of our interns to come, 
and participate. So industry can get to meet the talent. 100 future employees. 100 future employees between the Department of Defense and industry. That's great. The other thing industry can do is take the model that we're using and outreach to those universities so I can help industry in identifying those schools. And each of the schools have different capacities and capabilities and focus areas. So we capture that information. And so whatever that industry like NDIA is focused on, we can provide you a list of those institutions at HBCUs and MIs that you can begin to visit and look at and, and, and maybe uh, develop a partnership. Right. And like you said, they're aligning themselves to the modernization priorities, exactly. which is where our industry members are trying to, to align themselves to. So on the other end of the spectrum, then, we also have academic members. Mm -hmm. um, and so how do the academic members, some of the, some of the um, bigger research universities, what's the best way for them to try to partner with the HBCUs? Uh, you know, are there mechanisms by which one of the, you know, a, a school like a Carnegie Mellon, MIT, whatever, those kinds of schools can partner with the HBCUs? So what we did when we established the uh, Centers of Excellence, and you probably remember Dr. Reggie Brothers. <laughs> Doc, that was Dr. Reggie Brothers' idea. He said, Evelyn, we're doing a lot in research and equipment. We need to do more. And in establishing the centers of excellence, we connected with them with the community of interest areas. And so in doing that, we established a requirement in those centers of excellence. The HBCU and MI had to partner with another institution of higher education. And we encouraged them to partner with those larger R1s, as we call them, mm -hmm. institutions, and they have. Uh, in our centers of excellence. So, and it's funding for both sides. The, the prime is the HBCU or MI, and they partner with the academia. And it gives the and faculty gives, at the HBCU and the students an opportunity to maybe work. use some of the larger facilities. Yes, that's great. exactly what they're doing. The students, for example, like at Morgan State University, our centers of excellence for material science, is working with the student and faculty both at the John Hopkins University because that's their partner. So those are the kinds of things we have started doing. Excellent. And so it's, it's working and uh, things are looking good in terms of our program growing beyond what it used to be in 2010. So I know the National Academies last year put out a study that Congress asked for on, on some of the HBCU MI um, uh, efforts and some of the challenges that the schools are facing to work mm -hmm. with DOD. So what, what are some of those challenges and, and what are you doing to try to address them? Well, uh, the, uh, the National Academy of Sciences, Engineering and Medicine published a report in April 2022 and there were eight recommendations. The first recommendation is what we have been discussing, true partnerships, mutual respect, funding and those type of things because they found that even within the Department of Defense, our partnerships were partnering, but they weren't what they call true partnerships, uh, growing beyond just saying checking the box, as they put it in the, in the study. So that's number one, developing these true partnerships and relationships. Uh, because that was one of the concerns and challenges that we were here from the other institutions of higher education in regards to HBCUs and MIs. The other institutions of higher education, they have these true partnerships and relationship with the program managers within DOD. We want the same opportunity. Right. And so now <clears throat> that study pointed that out. The other thing that study pointed out was uh, the department in terms of the funding level. 
and, and the commitment that we need to make. Funding is important. And so we have leadership within the Pentagon that understands that and is committed to <clears throat> making sure that the program is well funded. You know, I can't talk about the president's budget request, but I can tell that the commitment is there. Right. And we see that moving forward. The other thing they talked to us about in the study was data collection. Uh, you know, data collection is not just unique or a problem for DOD, it's cross federal agencies. Right. And how can we measure, really measure success of, of the programs or what really needs to improve until we have good data right. to analyze? So that's another area that we're looking at improving in and setting up with the components and working on the data collection. So those were some of the top uh, uh, recommendations that came out of the study in terms of uh, also with the STEM, uh, that talent, and making sure we bring in the students, the faculty. Uh, we bring in faculty, faculties as IPAs to work with the Department of Defense so they can work with their schools and take back what we're doing. So uh, we're, we're running, starting to run out of time here. Okay. So I'm gonna ask you two more. One is a, a looking forward question. Uh, looking forward, do you, would you like to put yourself out of business? Would you, would you like to be in a place where, you know, we don't need an HBCUMI program anymore because the schools are so well integrated that, that we, we, we're past that. Is, that. is that a good future? Is that what you think we are going to get to someday? We will get there someday, but it will not be in my lifetime. <laughs> be, I say that because of the 101 accredited, I'll say HBCUs, and we have what, close to over 300 and something Hispanic serving institutions, and we have our Asian American Pacific Islanders, uh, Asian American Native Hawaiians Pacific Islanders, we have our uh, tribal colleges and universities, and, I'm, and, and the predominantly black institutions. There's a, there's a large group of minority representation there, and it's gonna take a long time before we can graduate that group and to say that we're at a point where we do not need them anymore because you went, we went, we visited tribal colleges sure. and universities. Right. And I see that for now, we're gonna need to continue to work with those 37 institutions right. to build the infrastructure at those institutions. That is what they need mostly. Right. So in the future, it would be great if we did not have this program and maybe one day we will get there, but not anytime soon. Right, but it's it's an, another example it's, of how we're leveraging America's greatest resource, its people, yes, and and tapping into the whole diverse network of its people exactly. in a global competition, right? And right? we're looking economic right. and national security competition, exactly. And we're looking to see the different groups of the minority representation. And even like within Hispanic and Asian and black group, there's different cultures within that group that we are working with and they, they have, they do things differently. And how we need to make sure they're well, well represented within the Department of Defense. And you mentioned earlier, and I'll be real quick, of the different White House initiatives mm -hmm. on historically black colleges, the Asian community, the Hispanic community, the tribal communities. And also we have another executive order on black Americans that's focusing on the disparities and health issues and those kinds of things under this administration. So we have a lot of work to do. <laughs> so my last question is a looking back question. So transport yourself back to Louisiana. You can talk to your guidance counselor, you talk to other mentors. 
Are there things that you wish you had known? You've taken a long and torturous, but very successful, incredible path to get to where you're going to mm -hmm. achieve all the things you've achieved. You, you started out in a very different place. What kinds of things do you wish people who are in that same position knew, know now that you have learned over time that you know maybe you didn't know back then? Well, I wish that it, it, it shouldn't have taken to me to get to my senior year in high school to know that there are such opportunities out there. And that's why <clears throat> that K through 12 STEM program uh, that my colleague, Mr. Louis Lopez, uh, the National Defense Education Program, we complement each other. Right. Uh, there's the Science, Mathematics, and Research trans Transformation Program, the SMART, Smart Program, Scholarship Program. It shouldn't take a person to get to their senior year in high school to learn that these opportunities are available. So you're highlighting the importance of K through 12. K through 12, teaching them early. And as we talked about just briefly, uh, just my little granddaughter during the pandemic, I started learning things from her, mm -hmm. helping to take care of her at times, what was going on and opportunities in education. So it must start very young. And uh, that's what, if looking back, and that's why I've transitioned from this being just a job to being public service and getting the word out uh, when they're young from kindergarten. Because uh, you see someone that's good at something, but they, you know, they're all type of uh, classes and opportunities for kindergartners and first graders now. And my mother and grandmother had to do that for me. But they, uh, we need to teach all students that there are opportunities out there for them and not wait till they're ready to go to college. That's great. Well, mm -hmm. with that, we're going to close. I want to thank you, Evelyn, for mm -hmm. both today's podcast and everything you do for the department, for the HBCU community, and everything you've done for me professionally over the years. Um, and thanks very much for your time today. Um, thanks you for uh, the, watching another episode of Emerging Tech Horizons podcast. Please go visit the uh, ETI website and the HBCU MI website for more information about everything that both ETI are doing and Evelyn's uh, pr uh, program is doing as well. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.